You're listening to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. To connect with us, hop on social media or go to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Hi and welcome to uh, our ninth week of online church. It's so good to see you. It's such a privilege to be here to speak to you. Um, I believe that Rob might have given me Philippians 3 to preach on because it has a little bit to do about circumcision. I know that's a very uncomfortable word, but because I'm a nurse, I believe Rob felt that I could handle this topic with a degree of professionalism. So I'm putting on my very professional voice and I'm just going to get it out and over with right at the beginning because as Bianca Steggett will tell you, I am a little bit naughty. So we're just going to say it three times and get it over and done with. So if there's any schoolboy humour, just get it out of your system now, okay? Ready? Circumcision. 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 Okay, now that's over and done with. I'm sure that actually spelling it is a lot harder than saying it, but probably not as painful as having it done. Can't actually say from experience. But seriously, though, I have really loved studying this book of Philippians and the life of Paul. Um, I've loved getting to know him as Paul rather than the Apostle Paul. I believe, I used to think of him with the Apostle Paul, you know, you read about him in books in Sunday school and he seems like he's a saint. I mean, he was a martyr. He died for the Lord. And so he seemed like so, in some ways, unrelatable to, to us or to me. You know, he did roughly live about 1,978 years ago. But what's that between friends? I feel like I've got to know Paul as a friend. Let me tell you a little bit about him. My friend Paul. He loved Jesus. He lived his life sold out for Jesus. He went through horrible suffering. Many times he was beaten, flogged, imprisoned, shipwrecked, dragged through towns. He knew wealth. He knew poverty. He knew isolation and rejection, misunderstandings, racial prejudice. He was incredibly intelligent, my friend Paul. He spoke several languages. He had a trade as a tent maker. He was a very eloquent speaker and writer. He wrote at least eight books of the New Testament and he started 14 churches. I found out this week that he actually had a sister and a nephew in Jerusalem who loved Jesus. He was incredibly joyful, especially in this letter. He really loved people. He felt pain, he felt sorrow. But through it all, he keeps pointing back to Jesus. He keeps drumming home that message. Jesus is the answer. Jesus needs to be the centre. He learned humility through the things he suffered, much like Jesus, who learned obedience through the things he suffered. He was a Jewish boy who was raised to become a Pharisee and basically then became a terrorist with the Pharisees, persecuting Christians. It says in Acts 7 that he was there at the stoning of Stephen. So he wasn't a Christian. He didn't know about, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He thought these Christians needed to be done away with, exterminated. This was about AD 37, when the church was only about four years old. And it says in Acts 7 that Paul is breathing out threats of slaughtering the Christians and he's heading to Damascus to find more Christians to slaughter. And this is when he is radically converted, a supernatural experience where God knocks him off his donkey with a beam of light. He's blinded. Jesus talks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you? And he says, Jesus. That's a little bit about Paul. So from then on, he becomes Paul instead of Saul. Saul was apparently his Roman name, but he chose Paul, which means diminutive, smaller. It's almost like there was such a change of character. He became a different man. 
So on a different tangent, I want to give you some fun facts about Philippi, because this book of Philippians was actually written to the church in Philippi. Philippi still exists. Duh, of course, says the viewers from Philippi. Hello to you all from Philippi, expecting lovely to have you with us. It's like someone saying that Australia still, is, still exists. Do you know it's not Austria? Huh. And you can actually get an Airbnb in Philippi for about $130 per night. The Roman theatre that where, Ro where Paul was dragged by an angry Jewish mob still exists. It was actually named after the King Philip, who actually had a famous grandson. Fred, who was the famous grandson? One of your heroes? Alexander the Great. Fun facts, Cleopatra and Mark Anthony were both killed in Philippi. And in the uh, 1970s, they found a tomb there that had more gold than the tomb of Tutankhamun in Egypt. So I read about the church, the birth of the church in Philippi in Acts. Paul has a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So immediately he goes over there. Uh, this is about, um, uh, that was in Paul's second missionary journey. But by the time this letter is written, it's AD 62. So Paul would probably be about in his 60s maybe. And this is actually, he doesn't go on any more missionary journeys after that. He's in prison in Rome. And there's a lovely painting, a lovely graphic that will come up, which is the painting that Rembrandt did of Paul in prison with the scrolls as an older man. And when I look at it, it's so beautiful. It helps me realise this, this is Paul. He was a man. He was a man who suffered. He was a man just like us who knew and loved Jesus. And that's what I hope that you will get out of my message today is that you will understand that what Paul Paul loved the same Jesus that you loved, the same Jesus that um, lived inside of him, lives inside of you. So Paul was actually travelling and preaching the gospel possibly for about 30 years. He planted those 14 churches and he's writing this letter to the Philippians while he's in prison in Rome and is written about AD 32. And I find it very moving that he says in there in Philippians that I hope to come back to be with you. And he's talking about, you know, if I die, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he's saying, but I'm, I'm expecting that I will come back to see you and to see your faces again. But the truth is he never went back to that church at Philippians because historical um, uh, documents say that he was probably martyred in AD 67 in Rome by Nero when there was a lot of persecution against Christians the same time as Peter was crucified. But they say that Paul was probably beheaded because he was a Roman citizen and they didn't crucify Roman citizens. So here is a man. If you take that context that Paul is writing this letter, not knowing that eventually he will die, he was told by God when he was first saved that he would suffer for him. And he, all the way through every book in the Bible that he writes, he talks about that, about um, being focused on knowing Christ. I love what he talks, uh, when I'm thinking about him on house arrest there, I'm thinking about freedom and that song that we sing about freedom. And, and often we think of freedom, especially during this time of isolation, I want some freedom, I'd love to go travelling. Or I remember talking to someone who wanted to go on a holiday and they said, um, oh, that's my goal, that's what I'm living for, that's, that's my sort of carrot that's dangling in front of me to endure what I'm going through because I've got this holiday to look, after, to look forward to. And I said to them, so you can only go through what you're going through because you've got that holiday at the end of the year. And they said, yeah. And I said, but what happens when you are going through a season and there's no carrot at the end of that rainbow? What happens then? How will you endure? Because freedom is not actually, um, 
you know, the Bible says that the truth shall set us free. So freedom comes out of relationship with Christ. And Paul knew this freedom, that even though he was in prison, he still knew freedom. It didn't depend on that he had a holiday to go to the Bahamas or Hawaii. He knew freedom. Even in a prison cell, he had learnt freedom. Because we have to know that the season that we're in, to, and Robert preached about this, that, and we talked about it in James last year, don't try to get out of the season too quickly that you're in. The season that you're in, God is teaching you something um, and he's preparing you for the next season. But if you're wishing that season away because I've got a holiday to look forward to and I just can't wait to get out of this time of suffering, you will miss the opportunity to learn some great truths that will prepare you. You know, when you've got four kids and you're at home, you won't be able to just nick off to... Um, nick, off. <laughs> nick off to Hawaii or somewhere. Um, you've got to learn and develop a history with God now that will keep you in every season. So I'm going to read through Philippians um, together. And um, if you'd like, I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's word. Steve Furtick does that, and I thought it was quite good. So if you could stand, shake yourself up, and say to whoever's in with you in the lounge room, if you have someone, if not, say it to yourself, something good is going to happen in my heart today. Open the windows of your heart. Look, because Jesus is going to come to your heart today. Because I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's God-breathed. God breathed on Paul as he wrote these letters. It's not just black and white on paper. When you read the word of God, understand that it's God breathed, God inspired. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. So I really believe that Jesus is going to speak to you today. So he starts off in Philippians 1. Well, that's about it, friends. Be glad in God. I don't mind repeating myself as I've written in earlier letters. I hope you don't mind hearing it, get, hearing it again. Better safe than sorry. I'm going to stop there and just talk about that. Um, be glad in God. I learnt this week about prepositions. Um, I, haven't, I remember being in grade eight and having a grammar lesson about prepositions and being terrified because I didn't know what they were. Well, thank goodness to YouTube, you're never too old to learn. And this week I learned about prepositions. They're actually linking words that link a noun with a verb or an adjective, or they're also called positioning words. So that little word in, be glad in God, is very important because it links gladness with God. If we didn't have it there, it would just say, be glad, God which doesn't really make sense. We're saying, be glad, God. No, it's be glad. He's saying to the Philippians, be glad in God. And he's saying, look, you're wondering how I can be in prison and rejoice? It's because even though my body is here in the prison, I'm actually in God. I'm in Christ. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. So it's that understanding that, that your position, no matter where you are, whether you've got four kids in the house, whether you're in a prison, whether you're in hospital, whether you're in a workplace situation that you just find really hard to bear, you are in Christ. And when you understand that, and I would really encourage you to study that out, when you understand the promises that are yours because you are in Christ, it's like I'm in this jacket. I put this jacket on this morning. I'm inside of it. It's not sitting over there. It's actually on me. I'm in this jacket. The same way that I am in Christ. So I have the mind of Christ. I have the life of Christ. I have the strength of Christ. I have the faith of Christ. So be glad in God. Then he says, steer clear of barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. They're interested in appearances, knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. You know, this week, our little, or actually would have been two weeks by the time you hear this, our little dog, Mickey, 
a photo of him on there for you to go, ah, our little dog Mickey had a bit of knife treatment. He wasn't circumcised, but he was fixed up. So be careful of that word fixed up when you go into a cafe and they say, can I fix you up? Because, um, you know, we all have different meanings of it. But he was fixed up, which means that he will not be able to reproduce anymore. Um, he, it's like, so that's what Paul is saying. These busybodies, these barking dogs, he's not against dogs. He's referring to a group of people and calling them dogs because they, they all bark and no bite. So it's a bit like the enemy. He has lost his ability to reproduce. He has a bark, but he has no bite because Jesus took the bite out of him. He took the teeth out of him. So you might have voices in your head or voices that say, oh, well, what about this or what about that? Or I don't know if I'm in Christ. I don't know if I'm, I'm saved. You are. It's not according to what you feel. It's according to what the Bible says. He says the real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts and we know even though we can list off what many might think are an impressive list of credentials. Um, I remember thinking, I remember having that revelation um, and it's great, you know, when you get an understanding of God's word and it really becomes part of you. I remember reading in Galatians um, that my salvation was started by grace and faith. But sometimes we think we get saved by grace and faith and then after that it's all up to us. A lot of hard work, a lot of trying, a lot of um, dying to self and all those things and we become a victorious Christian. But it's actually not like that. We are saved by grace and faith. And it talks about in the Galatians where Paul says to him, oh, you foolish Galatians, you know, who has bewitched you? You were running well. What, why have you stumbled and fell? You know, did you start in grace and now you're going to finish it off by obeying the law? No, it started by grace and it finishes by grace. It started by faith and it finishes by faith. And I remember... I, I teach Gabby that verse from Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I, because I'm in Christ, it's his faith on the inside of me that I live. It's actually not my faith that's being tested. It's Christ's faith in me. I, it's, I'm, I go through trials and tribulations to help me understand that the faith on the inside of me is strong and uh, that I can lean into it, that I can trust it. And so I realised that when I realised that that it's Christ's faith, the life I now live, it says in Galatians, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How wonderful that is, that it's his faith. Paul talks about all these great, his, his great pedigree, his great legitimate birth, how he was circumcised. It goes on about how I'm in the tribe of Benjamin, all of these amazing things, all these credentials that people might wave and go, look, I'm so um, qualified to do this. But he says, no, I'm throwing it all in the bin. I'm counting it as dog dung. I mean, you know, whenever you get dog dung on your feet, how awful it smells. So that's what Paul is aligning all of his qualifications with. It's like dog dung. Because of Christ. Because what, and it's, I thought about, it's a bit like, um, I was trying to think of a everyday example today that you could relate to, and I was thinking of Bill Gates. Uh, so if Bill Gates, um, with all of his qualifications, he went to Harvard, he's an incredibly wealthy man, probably the wealthiest man on the planet. He's incredibly involved in research for COVID-19 and with malaria. He's done so many good works in society. He's a very, very good man. But none of that counts to none of that will qualify him to have a relationship with God. 
It's only the blood of Jesus. And that's why Paul is talking about these being busybodies and calling them dogs because he said nothing can be added. It's only by Jesus. It's only by the blood of Jesus. The Bible talks about our righteousness, our way of doing things as though we can qualify ourselves to present ourselves before God and say, here I am, God, look at me. It's all like filthy rags. And no amount of washing can make that rag clean. It has to be disposed of and we have to take on a new life. So Paul says, I've dumped all that in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules. I want the robust kind that comes from trusting God, Christ, right, God's righteousness. Um, I think it's a bit like, say, you could post away and get righteousness um, in the mail from Amazon. Everyone loves getting things from Amazon these days. And maybe you could post away and get righteousness in the mail. But what would happen is you would open it up and find out that it's actually nothing like what the, um, the sale pitch said. You know, it's a bit like Rob, he posted away to get this bike outfit, you know, for riding the bike, a Lycra, Lycra fluoro bike outfit from China. And when he got it, it was just so cheap, you know, nothing like what the picture said. Um, and it was baggy in all the wrong places. Um, so it's a bit like that. The righteousness that you try and get is it doesn't compare with the robust righteousness that Jesus paid for on the cross. I'm going to skip down. Um, oh, I like actually, I want to just say briefly about what... Um, Better safe than sorry. At the beginning of the verse, I'm skipping back over a bit because of um, getting excited and going on to a few different things. But at the beginning there in verse 1, Paul says, "Be better safe than sorry. So what that actually means in another version, it says to safeguard your faith. So being glad in God, rejoicing in God actually safeguards your faith. How does it do that? Well, I thought a bit about the temp in bowling when you have the safety rails down the side. It stops the ball going off in the gutter. So when we rejoice in God it actually safeguards our faith. So when we start to question, well, why is this happening to me? And Paul could certainly have questioned, why is this happening to me? Um, he, he, by rejoicing in God, it was like those safeguards. Those, it prevented him going off this way or that way. They were, he kept his mind focused on the fact that he was in Christ. He was in God. It was said and done. He was completed in Christ. He didn't have to earn his salvation. So those safeguards, by rejoicing in God, they were those safeguards that protected him from going off. Your faith is so important. It's so, and what is valuable, important, we will look after. So and it talks often in the Bible, in Peter, that the trials we go through is to show that your faith is genuine. Again, it's the faith of Jesus it's being tested so that you get to see that it's actually gold. It can be tried in a fire and come out. I'd like to talk about, uh, go down to the last few verses, which talk about how um, to know Christ and to know him personally. That word know, excuse me as I find it. That word know is actually from the Greek word where it says Adam knew his wife and she conceived. So the word know is a very intimate word. So don't switch off. Stay with me. 
is actually, that, like I said, that intimate word between where a man knows his wife, a husband knows his wife. Again, what it's pointing to is it's Paul is saying, I want to know Christ personally. This is not an intellectual affair. This is something very intimate. Jesus, the church is often referred to as Jesus' bride. Jesus talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as the husband of Israel. You know, Rob and I have been married for 33 years. I have one husband. Rob has one wife. Jesus is looking to be your one and only, your Lord, your saviour. He's not looking for a head experience. He is looking for your heart. You know, sometime, I remember talking to someone and I was going through something and I didn't have much peace. And, they, and I said, are you talking to God about it? And they said, oh, we're not really talking at the moment about that. We're sort of like keeping that subject in. We're not going to that room. You know, when you're a husband and wife, there's not, you can't separate out rooms of your life and not talk about them. Um, it's like the elephant in the room. It's called, you know, you, are, you become one. You talk about all things. It's not a business partnership. Point number two, we're looking at verse, the last uh, verse of Philippians 3, verse 10, when he says, I want to know, I want to know Christ. I want to experience his resurrection power. You know, do you remember the story of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus had, had died? And uh, Martha is saying, you know, I know that he will be resurrected. And Jesus then says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So we have the very resurrection, the very resurrected one living on the inside of us. There are a few words for power in the New Testament. One of them is, um, which talks about authority, exosia. But the one that Jesus talks about in resurrection power, and the one that Paul is talking about here, is the word dunamis, which means dynamite. I love that. It's the same word where the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Almighty will overshadow you. That's dunamis, the dunamis power of God. And what I love about it is also when Jesus said to his disciples, his last words to them in Luke, he said, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed. That word enduro, it means clothed with power. How wonderful is that, that we actually have the resurrection power on the inside of us and that God, we are, just like I said, as I put this jacket on, when I became a Christian, I was clothed with Christ. I became into Christ. So I have the very resurrection of power of Christ on the inside of me. The other thing about the resurrection I love is that it's actually like my purchase receipt. The resurrection says that I was purchased. My ransom price was paid. So when the enemy comes to me and says, oh, you know, um, you weren't really paid for or you're not really saved, I can say, see this here? This is my purchase receipt. This says that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he ransomed me and I was paid for and all my sins are forgiven. It's the power that translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm going to finish talking about um, the resurrection. At the end here, Paul says that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The Bible talks about that there will be two resurrections. Um, I was listening to uh, Jensen Franklin. He puts it like this, that if we... Um, that when we know Christ, Jesus, I mean, when we know Christ, we are born again. So when we are born again, we only die once. But if we're born once, we die twice. So when we, the first resurrection will be the resurrection where we are resurrected and we face God. The, sec, the, the other resurrection is for where those who don't know God are raised and will face judgment. 
So I want to give you an opportunity now to be able to accept Jesus as your saviour, to be able to know that if you died tonight, that you would be resurrected to know Jesus, that you would you would be able to stand before the judgment seat of God and know that your sins were paid for, that you have been ransomed, that you can know Jesus, like we talked, like Paul knew Jesus as his friend, as his saviour, and that, that he lived with purpose. And that's why he was able to endure all that he went through because he lived with purpose. Jesus is coming back, but we do not need to fear death. My mother died two years ago and I was able to speak at her graveside about the resurrection. I don't fear death because I know that I am safe in God. I know that my sins have been paid for. So I'm, I just want to pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for every single person that has been listening today, that they would know you. You said today is the day of salvation. So I'm praying right now that each one of them would know without a doubt that they belong to you. And if you don't know that without a doubt, then you can, um, there'll be a prayer that will come onto the screen that you can pray. There's a song that um, I used to, um, Fred talked about last week and I gave my heart to the Lord. It was just as I am without one plea. And we're going to play that song and we're going to have a, a prayer that you can pray that, you, that will give you that confidence that you are saved. The Bible says it's not a feeling. It says those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So bless you. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you have a listen to that prayer, listen to that song and make a commitment to Jesus today. Amen.